Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, February the 3rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we'll recap the big game, and in spirit of big games, I'll relive my favorite big Dolphins wins from this century, where I was, how I felt, and we'll spend some time looking at some of the unproven players on Miami's roster who showed enough to warrant some expectations for growth in 2020 and beyond. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL, voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, by Dolphins Twitter. Check out the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And of course, LockedOnDolphins.com. We have the article up on the website right now that we're going to talk about right now. So the article finally up on LockedOnDolphins.com after I teased it for several days. I just wanted to give myself time to really get into the analysis on the players I focused on. There's about 10 guys on this list. The article on LockedOnDolphins.com, it's called The Three-Pronged Approach to Miami's Rebuild, The Development Phase. And you'll notice the article jumps around a little bit from the idea of building your team through the draft pipeline or possibly taking the free agent route to supplement areas of need you have on your roster to maybe more so supplement a possible contender in the future. The idea of the article is that there are three pillars by which you can build your team, free agency, the draft, and developing in-house talent. And I also wanted to find parallels to those three pillars to the two teams competing on Super Bowl Sunday as I'm talking to you right now before the Super Bowl has happened and we will have a recap of the game in the third segment as I'll come back post-Super Bowl and record that portion. But I wanted to compare the Dolphins to both the Niners and the Chiefs and the parallels really exist more for the 49ers since the Chiefs are a little bit propped up by an all-time generational type of talent at the quarterback position in Patrick Mahomes and... I think that Niners parallel really kind of kicks off with the head coach position because you have to commend Dolphins owner Stephen Ross for that introspective nature that he showed last offseason, the ability to take a step back and recognize that the MO was just not producing the desired results and taking the road less traveled, the rebuild, the tear it down and start from scraps to avoid a Texans-like situation where Bill O'Brien has Deshaun Watson, an elite-level quarterback, but... Is he ever going to be a threat to win a late season playoff game in January at Arrowhead or in Baltimore against Lamar Jackson with a defense in Houston that basically is broken and they don't have the resources to repair it because they went all in on a few positions on the offensive side of the ball. So Ross decided to go a different direction and try to step back and build a complete competent contender at every position, every faction of the football team. And they did that in San Francisco in addition to being patient with their head coach in Kyle Shanahan, who did not get results his first three years there. And right away, it was more of a rebuild. Last year, when they had Jimmy Garoppolo, they were expected to compete. He gets hurt in the third week of the season. They don't get him back. They wind up being one of the worst teams in football. And still, they demonstrate patience. They build the team the right way in his vision. And look at them now. They're in a position to win a Super Bowl. We'll find out if they do in segment number three. And they're going to be a team to be reckoned with for a few years because they have the quarterback and they have 
have this pipeline of in-house development, guys that fit their scheme. And I think the best way to compare that is Kyle Juszczyk, who makes double the amount of money of the next highest paid fullback in the National Football League. And you just wouldn't go after a player like that unless you had a very, very distinct role for him within your offense, within your program. And so that's how the Niners built the team to the vision of Kyle Shanahan. And I've spoken about this before with Brian Flores and having Steven Ross have that patience with him to give him some job security right away into his job for three, four, maybe even five years, even if the results don't come right away. And that allows the team to build the vision of the football team in that one singular vision. So you're not trying to mix match parts from various schemes, various regimes, various coaching preferences or front office preferences. You're all working towards the same goal, towards one singular vision, and that allows the team to not waste resources on players and eat dead cat money. So you can go free agency like Kyle Juszczyk, for instance. They also signed an all-pro cornerback in Richard Sherman as those two players provide a great supplement to their good roster. And how that roster became good was through the draft. We know about Nick Bosa. He arrived requiring pretty much no development. They've got DeForest Buckner on that front line. Eric Armstead turned into a player after it looked like he might be a bust through the first three or four years of his career, but you have several guys that were developed in-house to make this team able to replace injured players or maybe guys that didn't perform. You just have the next man up mentality because of the in-house development and the program you have developed. Like for instance, Kendrick Bourne was a 2017 undrafted free agent and he's out there making big plays almost every week for that Niners offense. Weston Richburg, their big money center goes down and that offense requires a good center, much like we think Miami's offense might. And they put Ben Garland out there, an unknown player, and he steps in week 15 and the offense never misses a beat, there's pretty much no fall off from Richburg to Garland. They have players in the secondary like Jaquiski Tart and Jimmy Ward who both had career years in production this year and they both played more snaps this season than they had any other season in their professional career. And that's where I believe the Dolphins can really expedite this rebuild. We know they're going to add blue chips via the draft. They're probably going to sign a couple of marquee guys, if not just at least one or two. We know they're going to round out the roster with better depth and produce an unquestionably better roster in reserve sounding fashion than the one we saw last year, but that also includes the likes of guys coming up from maybe a little bit of nowhere, late round draft picks, street free agents, guys that get picked up off the scrap heap and you develop them and you turn them into competent players on your roster. That's the best way to have a consistently sustained success so tough to say, the one that Mr. Ross wants to have here in Miami, and they have taken the necessary steps to ensure that they're at least in position to make a similar move, to make a similar push to the 49ers. And to go back to the Brian Flores praise, you go back to an article that was produced or published, I should say, on Thursday, I think it was, from Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald, where he got notes from Steve Mariucci and Chris Sims and Brian Billick and all these guys that mentioned how great of a coaching job Brian Flores did, the attention to detail, his really really well-versed background in New England, toughness, teaching, discipline, all these same monikers that made the Patriots who they are for the last 20 years. And that quote from Chris Sims says that he believes Miami are building something similar because of the presence of Brian Flores. So you got the coach right, you committed to the plan, and then the next part is going to be the draft and free agency. But what about those players that are already on Miami's roster who maybe had an impact last year that could take another step from a darling story in 2019 into a prominent contributor in 2020? We'll talk about those guys next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But first, this next segment will provide an aphrodisiac with regards to your football excitement. But in case that doesn't work, you guys got to check out Blue Chew. 
BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code Locked On, one word, to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Seems like it's been quite some time for Dolphins fans, but I do truly feel like good football is coming back to South Florida via your Miami Dolphins, and it starts this year in the draft in free agency, but more so with how the Dolphins develop their own talent in-house. We already know about guys like Christian Wilkins and Devontae Parker and probably even Preston Williams, Eric Rowe, Xavier Howard, all these guys that we expect to be top line, maybe even potential blue chip players one day to contribute to the team going forward. And we know about them and it's great that we have them, but what about some of the guys that maybe you don't hear about as much from the beat guys? Like for instance, one time at training camp, I was told by a beat writer that I've got to stop interviewing players that nobody cares about. And that comment really resonated with me because I care about all the guys in this roster. I think everybody's important to the success of the football team. And if Brian Flores believes it, then I believe it. And I'm I'm absolutely certain that his message is that everybody on the 53-man roster matters and contributes. And so with that, we start here with Andrew Van Ginkle. And I wanted to start with him off the top on this, a fifth-round draft pick, an area that Chris Greer and the Miami Dolphins have had a lot of success with in the past. We know about Bobby McCain and Jay Ajayi, obviously Rashad Jones a decade ago. You even had Tony Lippett in there one year as a decent contributor at the cornerback position. It seems to be the round that Miami has success in and that's where Andrew Van Ginkle came from and he spent the first 10 games this year on the injured reserve and then he came back late in the year with 125 snaps combined in those final two games and he racked up some stats had two quarterback hits in those two games a sack had eight tackles three tackles for loss he's good at blitzing off the edge and falling into the hook zones and the flats and coverage we knew about that but he had questions about his run defense and I show you a video up there where he is locking out disengaging and making plays in the backfield talked about those tackles for loss he really had an impressive end to the season and I think he's going to be a very important cog in this defense for the future going forward maybe even a 50 60 percent snap taker next year he had an 89 coverage grade in the last game against the Patriots and the week prior against the Bengals a season high 68 run grade, run defending grade and two more run stops in that game as well so Van Ginkle the arrow is pointing way up on him Next on my list is Miles Gaskin. He averaged 3.7 yards per carry, and that's not going to keep you employed in the NFL for very long. But when you demonstrate proper context to those stats, you start to understand the value he offers. Now, he didn't lead the team in yards per carry because Kenyon Drake's 4.5 YPC led the way. Mark Walton had 3.8 as well, but neither of those two guys matched 
Gaskin's ability to create yardage on his own. Gaskin averaged 3.2 yards after contact per rush. That's yards gained after forcing a missed tackle. Drake was at just 2.5, Walton 3.08, and both those players departed midseason, leaving just Kalen Balaj, who averaged 1.8 per carry and 1.49 after contact, and Laird 2.7 yards per carry and 1.8 after contact. I believe Gaskin was a production machine in college because of his exceptional vision, some crafty moves when it comes to making changing the angles on tacklers in a pinch, and his production in impossible circumstances to close the season really bodes well for his projection next year and beyond. Up next, Isaiah Ford, and really the sun was about to set on his career as a Dolphin because through the first 13 weeks of the season, he had three targets and two catches, even though every single day after practice and training camp, he was working out after practice with Kenny Stills, going deep on post patterns and corners and deep routes with Ryan Fitzpatrick, and it took a while, but that chemistry finally started to sync up with Fitzpatrick, and he got onto the field in the last four games of the year, caught 21 passes, and he did it at a 72.4% catch rate and 8.1 yards per target. He had two yards per route run, which ranked 43rd in the NFL, and his catch rate ranked inside the top 40. I think Ford has a future here, especially when you hear the way Flores talks about him. On the offensive line, Michael Dieter, it was a struggle for him this year, and a lot of times for offensive linemen coming into the league, rookie seasons can be a challenge, even for first-round draft picks. He started 54 games straight at Wisconsin, would have had 16 here in Miami this year if not for a benching in the Jets game, but there is some nastiness to his game, and he is proficient at the second level, and I think I answered this on the Thursday podcast mailbag. Some Somebody asked about some upsides in his game. I like the way he handled combo blocks and got to the second level in the running game because you watch the way he works the double teams, shoulder to shoulder, foot to foot, and he really executed the fundamentals of the position that way pretty well. And I think better play on both his inside and outside post can help him. And maybe, just maybe, he could be a starter in the future. Defensive lineman Zach Sealer. I call him defensive line because he's going to play a lot of spots across that line, but he had a sack, seven tackles, and two passes defensed, five run stops, and three quarterback pressures in that Bengals game. He really exhibits the traits that translate to success in this Dolphin scheme up front. He's enormous. Six foot six, 290 pounds, has the 34 inch arms, which that's right about where you want to be in this defensive system for the two gapping, lock him out, disengage against the running game. And all of his athletic profile essentially ranks in the 90th percentile among interior defensive linemen. I think a big future and play playing probably like 40 or 50% of the snaps is in line for Zach sealer on the defensive line Jonathan Ledbetter as well and he's kind of a forgotten man by Dolphins fans even though he climbed his way up from an undrafted free agent to regular season opening day starter and he got the one sack that day against the Ravens and he like sealer has the same traits that make him a success in this defense length and strength I think he's a quality candidate to play the heavy end position and really vastly improve Miami's edge position looking forward to him getting back out there staying on the defensive line John Jenkins I didn't know if he belonged in this category because I think he's more proven he's much more of a vet and he's not a premier pass rusher by any sense but he does really well in the same two gap scheme playing the big defensive end role and he can play all the way inside at nose tackle because he weighs 325 pounds he's a tree stump against the run he can slant and twist better than his athletic profile would suggest he had a 70.8 overall pff grade last year that was second on the dolphins defense of players who played at least five games 21 run stops on 274 running down plays that's a run stuff percentage of 7.7 percent per pro football focus. In the secondary, Jamal Wiltz, he had a bad year from the metric standpoint and his stats gave up some plays, some catches, some yards, some touchdowns, but he played some safety, played some slot. He showcased the versatility that makes 
for quality fits here in this Brian Flores defense, but he was a sure tackler, and I still believe that he could present a lot of value as your sixth defensive back, the dime defensive back to come off the bench on third and 13, play the sticks, rally up and tackle. That's his best cover, That's his best skill set, and he also can cover man up and play some safety as well. Jamal Wiltz, I think, has a future here. They've been developing this guy for a couple of years going back to New England with Josh Boyer and Brian Flores. Another cornerback, Tay Hayes, and the sample size is minuscule, just two games, but man, the confidence and the skill set he showed in those two games really makes you think that he can stick as a modern day cornerback. He allowed three receptions on 16 targets in those two games. That's nothing. That's a great production from your cornerback. And in addition to the coverage skills, he made three tackles within two yards of the line of scrimmage, the old run stop. He defended two passes and only 16 of his reps were in the slot with 90 on the outside, but he can play both in and outside as well. Staying on the defensive backfield, Montre Hardage is up next, and he was a late-season practice squad call-up, and it was something of a redshirt season for him because he was a two-time All-Big Ten cornerback at Northwestern and moved to safety. I want to say it was on day two or day three. It was definitely before the first day off. He moves to safety, and all of a sudden is working in at second-team safety behind Bobby McCain, and he had a great tackling grade this year, did not miss a tackle, 86.5 grade via pro football focus. He allowed just 34 receiving yards on six targets. He had that big pass breakup when he probably should have picked it off against Tom Brady on that final drive in that Patriots season. But he's a smart, heady player, got a good head on his shoulders. And when I spoke to him in training camp, he seemed to be a kid that just gets it. Rooting for that guy. I think he could have a future here in Miami. And the last guy on my list here is linebacker Sam McGuavin. He wouldn't have been on this list if it wasn't for the second half of the season, which is probably the case for most of these guys anyway, but he struggled so bad early on with the physicality of the game, getting washed out, getting bowled over, getting pancaked, but he was always a passing down specialist, wasn't supposed to be playing the running game all that much anyway because he has enough burst to be an effective blitzer. He had 23 pressures and five sacks this year on 232 pass rushdowns, and he's no slouch against the pass. He allowed just 110 yards on 17 pass targets, just over six yards per pass target and he also had three positive coverage grades in the month of December. I think that he could be a sub package linebacker and a core special teamer for you in the future. And so that's the list of guys. I know some people are going to be upset by the omission of like a Patrick Laird, for instance. You might ask about Vince Beagle. To me, Vince Beagle's already proven, so he's not on that list. But these are the guys I think could have an impact on this roster. If I didn't list them, I don't think they will be on the roster for the future. But that's a solid 11 guys right there that if those are your depth pieces, the guys that come off the bench and contribute when somebody gets hurt or they come off the bench when someone needs a breather, you're in good shape because like we talked about, Christian Wilkins, Vince Beagle, Mike Kosicki, Eric Rowe, Nick Needham, Albert Wilson, Xavier Howard, Devontae Parker, Raekwon McMillan, Jerome Baker. I mean, you could do a lot worse than that, especially when you influx the roster with three first round draft picks, two second round draft picks, probably a couple of marquee free agents. I just don't think this team is going to be that far away, especially if Brian Flores is who we think he is. The rookie season and the ability to get a sum that's greater than the total of its parts, winning better than half the final nine games, that's an accomplishment for most teams, especially one with a roster that resembles something an XFL product will produce in its inaugural season or re-inaugural season. Flores in his rookie year, the ultimate feather in his cap for a coach that was recognized across the league and media landscape in the National Football League. The in-house development, it's the great unknown, but simple math tells us Miami's going to find their fits in the free agency, find their players in the draft by the law of averages, and having that security in the player development aspect of the program is the surest way to achieve Mr. Ross's vision, a vision that I believe will produce an annual contender in South Florida.
if they see it through. Okay, we're going to finish up this podcast on the other side. I want to talk about the biggest games this century that the Dolphins won and where I was and how I experienced it. And we'll also recap the Super Bowl as football is officially over. All that next here, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. The song serves a little bit of double duty for us here on this Sunday slash Monday recap edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, recapping the Super Bowl here in just one second. But as I talk to you right now, it is actually Friday, so we're not going to recap that yet. But what I do want to talk about in anticipation of the big game on Sunday are the biggest Dolphins wins of the last century. There haven't been that many of them, but I'm going to go over them right now. They're not in any particular order, just how I thought of them off the top of my head. But we start with the Monday night thriller in 2009 over the New York Jets. Mark Sanchez, Rex Ryan, that really good Jets team that got to the AFC Championship game that year. And the Dolphins were 2-3 and three heading into that game, really needing a win to keep their season alive with Chad friggin' Henney throwing to Ted Ginn. And that, of course, was the big play in the game. Ted Ginn roasts Darrell Revis for a touchdown. And that was the moment I think a lot of Dolphins fans thought that Chad Henney was the answer. And that's why this game is on this list because of how integral that was to the belief that we had a franchise quarterback. Now, lo and behold, here we are more than a decade later, and we still haven't found that guy, again, seven years on Ryan Tannehill, who was a good quarterback, but not the franchise-saving resolution to the position for the next decade and a half. That's what we thought Chad Henney was that night. Turns out he wasn't. Ronnie Brown scoring that touchdown to open the game and the game winner as well. I actually had a prop bet on that game. I had the Dolphins and the points. I also had Ronnie Brown as the first player to score a touchdown, and that was something like 7-1 to odds, so I did pretty well for myself that night. That was a great one. And really, the game that belongs at the top of this list is, of course, the Lamar Smith game. I'll never forget that one. I don't recall the details as much because it was 20 years ago. I was also 12 years old, and my parents separated at a young age, and I was at my dad's house watching that wild card game. We used to bring the couch futon cushion from my room into the living room and have sleepovers. My brother and I would sleep out in front of the TV, and we loved it. And since it was a 10 a.m. game for us West Coasters, we just kept it out there, had breakfast, and watched the game in our pajamas. And I remember jumping up and down, screaming, running around the living room, running back into the halls after they had the big touchdown to Jed Weaver, and then, of course, the Lamar Smith touchdown. And I became a Lamar Smith truther that day. Actually bought, or no, I didn't buy it, but I got a Lamar Smith jersey for Christmas that year after that game. What a blast that was. That was probably my favorite game as a Dolphins fan to date, and I still have it on DVD somewhere. Another big one, the 2008 Week 17 game against the New York Jets, the division clincher. That's your gray hat, Tony Sperano, rest in peace. The Andre Goodman interception is what I remember the most because that was the moment that it was real, that we had won the division, we had won the game. Of course, the Anthony Fasano touchdown in the corner of the end zone, the Ted Ginn catch where he grabbed the back of the football. Remember that big drop from Ricky Williams and how Dev devastating that was because this was an offense that couldn't afford to make mistakes like that that I was just living and dying with that game because one we wanted to win the division but two I just had such a a negative view of the Jets as we all did that I was I was beside myself throughout that game but the jubilation at the end it was nearly as good as the win in the playoff wildcard round on the Lamar Smith game 
Then there was the Christmas Eve Jay Ajayi game, the Matt Moore game. Devontae Parker had that long touchdown. And Rex Ryan, I'll never forget, punting the ball in overtime on fourth and four, giving it back to Miami. And the Bills, if they tied that game, there was like two minutes left in overtime. If they tied, their season was over. So it was literally one of the worst coaching decisions I ever saw. Ajayi rips off a 52-yard run right after that to get into field goal range. And that, of course, all came after Andrew Franks and the fire drill get onto the field for a game-tying field goal from like 54 yards in the frigid Buffalo weather. What a night that was because it was also Christmas Eve and every year since I met my wife, we go to her dad's house on Christmas Eve to celebrate the holiday with that side of the family. And I remember getting just toasty, getting nice and loose that night, celebrating Miami's 10-win season. And the next night, knowing that if Kansas City had beaten Denver, Miami had clinched a playoff berth. And that's why that game kind of gets lumped in there as well. Watching that game on Christmas night, the Chiefs just ran roughshod over the Broncos. We were popping champagne, taking shots. What a great time that was. This was at my brother's house, so a different side of the family. Just a really good family affair that night, celebrating a playoff berth for the first time in eight years. And another very, very fond memory. I've got two more on here. The 2013 Patriots game. I really recall Damian Williams, or no, it was, Ty- it was Tyler Thigpen's touchdown catch from Ryan Tannehill. A really good pass to the pylon on third down to give us the lead. And then, of course, as the Dolphins always did in those days, or for the better part of our lifetime as Dolphins fans, it seems like once the offense went and made a big drive, a good defense would then buckle when the game was on the line, and it looked like that's what was going to happen. But then, of course, Michael Thomas falls back into the end zone and picks off Tom Brady. That was such a great game, but it kind of lost some of the luster because of the next two weeks losing to the Bills and the Jets to miss out on the playoffs. And then the end, the recapper here, the Miami miracle, being in the press box as a credentialed journalist, credentialed media member covering that game. I didn't really get to fully express my feelings at the end of that game, but I'll never forget standing up and saying, oh my God, he's going to score. He's going to score. He's going to Bleep and score, man. That was one of the most exciting moments as a Dolphins fan, but I had to hold it all in. That was just, you really cannot replicate that feeling because I'll recall tweeting out like two minutes before that play happened and the Dolphins lose. They will now play out the string the final three games of the season with no playoff hopes intact. And then of course that did not age poorly as the Dolphins win. And then Adam Gase did what he does and lost the final three games of the year to miss out on the playoffs altogether. So those are it, man. I don't, I'm probably missing a couple in there, but having what, one, two, three, four, five, six games out of the last 20 years, some teams have that many games in one season. Hopefully it all turns around and this becomes a regular thing for the Dolphins to celebrate playoff games, playoff wins, maybe even one day a Super Bowl. And speaking of that Super Bowl, the game just finished. The 2019 season is over and the Kansas City Chiefs are champions of the NFL. I think we're going to see plenty more of this in the future, led by quarterback Patrick Mahomes even though this was not his best game and far from it because he was spiking passes and just erratic, getting rushed off the spot and not really having a response for how to get away from that pressure and make plays once he extended them. But at the end of the day, he comes down the field three times, gives the Chiefs 21 points to close that game out and give them the victory. What this means for the Dolphins on that side of the ball, I think it just means that we're going to have to look to build a defense that can contain Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and Deshaun Watson for the next 10 years because those three young quarterbacks all provide dynamic playmaking ability inside and outside the pocket. And if you're going to play modern day football against modern day quarterbacks, you have to have a defense that can adapt to that type of a thing. So players 
like Isaiah Simmons, for instance, these long, rangy, versatile players that can stay on the field for running downs and for passing downs. That has to be Miami's focus. The upshot of this whole thing, none of those three quarterbacks are in the AFC East. Old man Tom Brady is coming back at age 43 per that Hulu commercial. And it sounds like to me with the combination of that commercial as well as the $30 million guarantee report of the Patriots. That's what they would pay him if he comes back to New England. I think it's going to be one last hurrah there, give him some more weapons to work with and try to go get one more Super Bowl before he heads out at age 44. Am I worried about that? I mean, the Dolphins beat that team in week 17 and the Dolphins were the worst roster in the NFL when they did that. And I just think that Brady's game has declined so much at this point that we can probably write him off as one of those three quarterbacks as the elite quarterbacks in the AFC. So not so much about defending the statues, the old style quarterbacks, these athletic mobile quarterbacks, guys that can incorporate the RPO game and the play action game and that slant game working out of the shotgun. And my goodness, watching Patrick Mahomes work on that, as well as Jimmy Garoppolo in that 49er scheme. I'm excited to see what Tua Tungavailoa can do with with the Dolphins and Preston Williams and Devontae Parker and Albert Wilson, all those guys he has in his arsenal if the Dolphins are to draft him. So the Chiefs are your Super Bowl champion. What it means on the other side, the Niners had a great Great season, a great run with awesome schematics from Kyle Shanahan, constantly fooling the defense, making all his plays look the same. That's a team that's going to be back in the very near future. And what it means for Miami is that next season, the NFC side of the schedule, all four of those teams, the Niners, the Cardinals, the Seahawks, and the Rams, those are four damn good football teams. Going to be difficult four games across the conference for the Dolphins. So maybe the AFC East next year only has one playoff team, a division winner. But again, the Chiefs, Super Bowl champions. And I had a note here about Dan Marino and Patrick Mahomes' script looking almost identical after their first couple of seasons in the NFL. But of course, Mahomes gets the chance to rewrite that script and he does it. So he will not follow in Marino's footsteps without the championship ring. But that's about where his career trajectory is at this stage. Hall of Fame, Canton bound. And on the topic of Canton, Zach Thomas was a finalist for the Hall of Fame over the weekend. The NFL chooses five every year, and he was not among those five. It was looking like late down the stretch, he might have a chance to get in over possibly Edger and James, maybe Isaac Bruce, but he does not get in, and he'll join a loaded ballot next year as well. So maybe he inches closer and gets in next year, but no Zach Thomas this year. It really is a crying shame, and I think a big snubbing of Zach Thomas. He would just he played the game the right way, had all the praise of the players that played against him. Guys like Peyton Manning, who was the absolute, just they called him the sheriff because he knew exactly what was going to happen every single play, and he complained about Zach Thomas knowing what he was going to do, and so he basically outmastered the master. And I just think that a narrative can follow a player sometimes, and Zach Thomas is undersized, maybe too slow, not athletic enough type of narrative that followed him through college into the fifth round of the NFL draft. Maybe that is attached to him now still to this day and people that didn't get a chance to watch him every single week just lead a generational defense that was top five in scoring every single year and it was ultimately held back by a poor quarterback play and a head coach who didn't have any stones and that should be no reason to hold Zach Thomas back from an individual accomplishment but I think it just didn't get the Dolphins on a big enough primetime stage in the prime of his career to really get himself really into that echelon of both great player and superstar that get you into Canton, get you into the gold jacket, because there is some biases that go into that, and unfortunately that plays against Zach Thomas. 
But the good news is the Dolphins are back to 0-0. We are undefeated, and it's on to the 2020 season. We'll have you guys covered here in the scouting combine, free agency, all the fun stuff ahead on the Miami Dolphins' most important offseason in quite some time, possibly in franchise history. On our closing note, the best Super Bowl commercial, in my opinion, was the Brian Cranston Mountain Dew commercial, the remake of The Shining. I just really liked Cranston's performance in that, thought he did a great job, and it got a good laugh out of me when he agreed with her when she drank the Mountain Dew. So... That's it. There are no more in-season podcasts for Locked On Dolphins this season. We're on to the off-season, and we're on to the next episode. We'll talk to you guys again on Tuesday, but in the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins, and keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest to your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up. Fins up.